Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And on behalf of Father Peter Musset and myself, we want to thank you so much for listening and for tuning in and being a part of this community. Uh, this week, we have a classic episode, a rerun, a recycle, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we will be back with a brand new live podcast next week. So please enjoy this classic from the archives, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Your Hello, everybody, Dude. and welcome <laughs> to the Lanky Guys, the Word on the Hill. This is the Word on the Hill. My name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musset. Father I, Peter's already planning on replacing me. <laughs> Dude. <Yeah>. Anyway. <laughs> well, let's get it into is the, the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time. Boom, the fifth Sunday <laughs> of Ordinary Time. Our first reading is coming from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 2a. Jumping to uh, verse three, verse uh, <laughs> verse three through eight, dude. I did tried that to, I tried out? to find, yeah, yeah. I tried to find Isaiah six two B, and um, could you not find it? Yeah, and and well, yeah. That's the question: is to be or not to be? <laughs> oh, uh, did you plan that whole thing? No, out? I didn't. It just came to me right as I was talking. This is miraculous. Miraculous. And then uh, we get into Psalm one thirty eight. Okay, Psalm one thirty eight. And then um, the verses are taken one through five and seven through eight. But I'm not exactly sure how they're divided, so I just say stuff. Okay, that's well. We could just say it's one through two, two through three, four through five, and seven through eight. <laughs> that could also help. Uh, our first, our second reading is from First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses one through eleven. Then we get into our gospel. God into our God spell. <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, yeah, well done. Yeah, Luke five, one through eleven. Y'all. That's right, dude. I'm I, I'm excited. I really like five one through eleven, dude. I think I found uh, some neat connections between the first reading and the gospel, and the second reading. I I actually think that oh, I've got nothing on the second reading, so that's great. Oh yeah, Good yeah, to hear. yeah, yeah. Like um, you know what? I I'm gonna summarize everything we're gonna do today right at the very beginning right of, of the uh, yeah really? yeah. But then they're gonna stop listening using a quote. They're gonna turn it off from a from a movie. Are you okay. ready? Yep. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Yeah, well. <laughs> I was actually thinking of a quote before you said it, but it was a different quote from the same movie. Oh, come oh on. no. I was thinking of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, Never mind. Let's come on, Bill. Can we give me some no. Bill and Ted. Dude, nope. come on. Nope. <laughs> come on. No. <Nope. laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a machine. I'm not a vending machine where you can just get Cajun chips out of me whenever you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Am I a vending machine? You can just get Red Bull and junk food anytime you want? Kind of. <laughs> oh, Double standard. You, yeah, sorry. So, Isaiah. All right, Isaiah. Isaiah, so, this guy, he's a seer. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, kind of different yeah. than calling him a looker. Jeez. <laughs> oh, no, the mo- I forgot that the mornings are always when you're slap happiest with the podcast. Because <laughs> you haven't been worn down with the cares of the day yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, we I mentioned last week, having not looked at the readings in advance, last week we talked about um, the call of Jeremiah. And do you remember we mentioned that it sounded remarkably similar to the call of Isaiah in a lot of ways? Yeah. So it, it's kind of funny what the, one of the things the church is doing as we're getting closer and closer to Lent, this time of preparing for Jesus, we're getting the um, the call narratives of two of the most major prophets whose job it is to go and prepare Israel for the coming of the Lord. So it's interesting that as we get closer and closer to Lent, this is what the church is doing. She's giving us, she's she's reiterating the calls to these two great prophets for us to glean from so that we can kind of take that. And, and Peter's as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's kind of cool. I was just thinking about how 
the church is doing that. Dude, so I, I've been thinking a lot about how, um, in in fact, the way in which uh, we call each other is just so different. Man, you used to have to wait by a payphone with like pagers. But even before that, like, dude, we Sorry, didn't even did have call say? waiting. Did you just say we had to used to wait by the payphone with pagers? <laughs> I mean, Who did that? You didn't do that? Come on, dude. Waiting by the payphone with a pager? Yeah, dude. Come on. If you're going to get I never in touch had with a pager. Mm, I had one, and Crowd. I had to get rid of it once Crowd it went off at the dinner table. <laughs> and I was like, sorry. I got up from the dinner table, and it's like, sorry, I have to take this page. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, I realized that I was a tool. Oh, all the millennials are just staring at their iPhones, not but, knowing what to do with us. But I mean, that, that's, a, that's a call narrative if ever there was one. Ah, Touché. Ah. Do you remember in the show 30 Rock? Where Liz Lemon dated that guy who sold pagers. <laughs> I didn't see that. Oh my one. gosh, he was a recurring character. Anyway, um, so yeah, so here's Isaiah's call as he's seeing. Um, in the year King Uzziah died, and we all know that King Uzziah died in 742 BC, but I don't have to tell you guys that. So in the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high and on a lofty throne. By the way, um, we're dealing with the period in time before the Northern Kingdom has been dispersed by Assyria, right? So. The kingdom is now split at the, after the civil war, but all of them are still sort of intact, right? There's yeah. still a northern kingdom. Yeah. So uh, Isaiah is down in the southern kingdom. So in the year that King Uzziah died, he was a pretty, well, he was one of the kings. Uh, I saw the Lord high and seated on a throne, and the train of his garment filled the temple. Seraphim were stationed above, and they cried to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All the earth is filled with his glory, which is why we say that at Mass, because we realize we're being caught up into the presence of God. Into so the we, throne room. Into the throne room. So we say the very thing that we know the angels say to each other. You know that um, that uh, it used to be that priests would have a train on their cassock if they were a pastor and that they were only allowed to undo their train if they were within the parish boundary. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wait. You'd have a train on your cassock so yeah. it would like drag behind you. you no, know, I got all that, but you were only allowed to undo it if you were within the parish boundary. Yeah, you 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 button it up. I was reading the church visible the other day and I was like, what the what the what the heck? You should do that. I should, dude. And when you're driving, you had just as soon as you cross over Highway 36, you got to take it off. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, my train, then then it can fill the temple. Oh, yes. See, I was just yeah. looking for the imagery of how we actually imitate the heavenly realities here. Yeah. That's the creative times. You no, know? it's good. This is, these are creative times. Okay, so here's Isaiah. Um, he is caught up in the throne room of God. He sees himself there. You know, I don't know. Is he there? Does he actually just, is it a vision he's caught up? And I don't know, but he's there. There he's seeing face to face with God. He realizes where he is and his first response is, woe is me, I am doomed. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have, yet my eyes have seen the king, of the, king the Lord of hosts. Um, so there, there's this moment that Isaiah, who's a very holy man, he's one of the best people they have in Israel, right. especially in the South. Um, he realizes he's in God's presence, and his first response is, you know, you could. All, I want to say this is a response of humility. Um, we all, might want to jump in and see this as a false humility. We're, we're, Christians sometimes are really good at being falsely humble, like, "Oh no, I'm not worthy to have dinner with Father Peter." You know, blah, you know, you know, when we kind of act like. <laughs> Everybody's worried to have to yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry, that was weird. No, but no, yeah, no, but you no, know what I, I mean? I know exactly what so you mean. So the idea of false humility, that's not what Isaiah is doing because we can look at his story and know that he is a righteous man. So why is he saying he's not? Well, it's not because he's being falsely humble. It's because he realizes I can't totally separate myself from the community around me. 
they are a people of unclean lips. They're doing things they shouldn't. They're worshiping idols. And even if I'm not doing those things, they're still my family. I am a part of them. And therefore, we're kind of in this together. So right. because I'm a part of this corrupt culture, I don't know if I'm worthy to be standing before God. And and again, it's not this false humility. It's this this real kind of beautiful solidarity with the sinful people around him. And that sounds like a weird thing to say. Don't be in solidarity with the sin, but with the people who are in sin. Right. Realizing, yeah, because the temptation as Christians is always to want to circle the wagons and talk about those bad guys over there, or those idiots in that church over there, you know, whatever it is, rather than to be like, yeah, we're, we collectively are a mess. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it always strikes me as beautiful. So he has a confession, right, of sin, basically, and uh, when that happens, one of the seraphim, ironic enough, um, seraphim literally means the burning ones. It's the ones who are on oh. fire. I always love this passage because the ones who are on fire, the seraphim, have to go and take tongs to pick up a charcoal briquette from the, <laughs> the, little, the little barbecue grill. Isn't that funny? Why? They're awesome. on fire. They just could pick just it grab up it. with your stinking hands. Anyway. And but the, they don't have bodies. So maybe the other incorporeal. Yeah, that's what I was going to But they have say. to hold tongs somehow. I've held tongs. It's not easy if you don't have fingers. <laughs> I don't know. It's always it's, it's a, weird it's, to me. It's a vision. There's there's a lot there's a lot happening. <laughs> there's a up lot here. going on. Yeah, but anyway, they take the they take this little this little ember, this charcoal briquette from the fire, and then they touch it to his mouth, and they said, "Now see, this has touched your lips. Your wickedness is removed. Your sin is purged." So there's Isaiah. He sees himself in the presence of God. His first response is a confession of his sin and the sin of his people. Then he goes through a period of small, not so small. He goes through a period of suffering, and that sin that he has confessed is now cleansed. And from that point, he says, "Okay, I'm ready to go." God says, who shall I send? He's like, I'm ready. Send me. And that's sort of the end of that reading. But you get sort of the, the quintessential um, model for how we are to respond in the presence of God. We are to recognize our own frailty. We are to ask for forgiveness. We are to expect that God will cleanse us. And then we are to say, okay, what do you want me to do? Which, beautiful. which is all totally imaged in our liturgy. How so? Oh, yeah. Explain. Yeah, I mean... To, I see where you're going. To start off, we have a penitential, right? But then right before... Notice how right before um, uh, we enter into the Eucharistic prayer, w- there's incensations with burning coals that go around, and the priest is then incensed. Yeah. And then the people are incensed. Yeah. And then... There you go. So it's yeah. like burning, yeah. burning coals are actually touching, not necessarily like with the yeah. with the tongs, right. but but close. It's in it's a, it's in a liturgical capacity, not necessarily within within. It's a symbolic way. But because that happens in a certain sense, we are allowed to have God then touch our lips right. in terms of the Eucharist. And once we do that, what does the priest do? He gives us our, his blessing and he says, "Go now." And so we're actually supposed to go and say, okay, where do you want to send me, Lord? So it is the whole scheme of the Mass. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is, and that's the the ultimate burning coal. I mean, that's the, that's the imperishable fire. Nice. Is the Eucharist. But it's this, it's this call narrative, which is really, really essential. Yeah. Which takes us to the Psalm. Yeah, which is interesting because it's, it's really the voice, it it could be one of two things. It could be the voice of Christ speaking Wait, to the Father. What are you talking about? The Psalm. The Psalm. Yeah. What's the voice? Where do you see a voice? I thank you, oh, Lord, you with is, all of you my mean heart. Who is speaking in the <laughs> yes, Psalm? Exactly. Sorry, I thought because in Isaiah it says, "I heard the voice speaking." 
I don't think it's God. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I yeah. So we could see Christ actually speaking to the Father. We could also see the church speaking to Christ. I don't. I think it's us, and I'll tell you why. Okay. What, uh, so the first, you know, the responsicle, whatever, says, "In the sight of the angels, I will sing your praises." Of course, that's what he's doing. Right. That's what Isaiah guy is doing. But here's the other thing. Uh, what does your first line say? What What translation are you reading? I am reading New American. Oh, okay, so you're so we're reading what's gonna. So the New American, I think, I'm sure somebody had a good reason for all translations are are interpretations. I don't know why it's interpret why it's translated this way, but but what it actually is in the in the Hebrew and the Greek is I will confess to you, O Lord, with my heart. So our translation says I will give thanks to you. That's not exactly what it says. So here's this person, the presence of God. I will give thanks, or I will confess, O Lord, with all my heart. For I, for you have heard the words of my mouth. It's this idea of being in the presence of God and confessing before him, right? Right. Which is kind of beautiful, which, which is a sense you don't get in the translation that we use, but it's a sense that really captures the meaning of the first reading and why these two are together. Does that make sense? Yeah. But what, but, but what else? So how else could that be? How else could those different voices be playing this out? I want to hear the rest of what you're thinking. Well, this is actually just Thomas Aquinas saying oh, that, Thomas actually. <laughs> in oh, his, in oh, his wow. commentary. Oh, I just totally jacked it. it really, yeah, no, it's I'm like, I, I'm always struggling to actually get get something, you know, with the, with the psalm. I Psalm's mean, like, tough. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful song. But then you say, like, gosh, who's singing this psalm? How does this actually affect and change the way that I'm experiencing this? So, so like... It's just, it's like the Lord bringing everything together. Yeah, totally. It's totally that. Okay, and you, that takes us to the second reading, which you said you talked a big talk about the second reading. Well, you got, you got some stuff, man. I'm wanting to hear it. Well, I, I think this actually fits in. We're uh, still in First Corinthians, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, um, it links us between the psalm and this whole idea of the call narrative. Okay. Because if it's actually Christ speaking to the, I mean, if it's the church speaking to Christ, then we have this moment of like, this is actually how St. Paul starts going through and he says, okay, um, uh, that he said he gives this like super one sentence brief synopsis of of the salvation of Christ yes of of the work of Christ and then he says okay and then he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve and then five hundred and then Cephas uh, being Peter yep exactly. and then he appeared to James and the apostles and then last to me so what happens is he put a, he puts a lot of people in front of him but then he's like let me actually tell you what how, how great I am how how <laughs> great I, well, that's Saint Paul though. I know, it totally He is. puts everybody in front of him, and then he's like, but let me tell you about me now. Save the best for last. Save the best for last. And, but then he, but he, he does it in this way where he's saying, like, this is actually what I had to be purified from. He says, yeah, I, yeah. I'm untimely born yeah. for the least of the apostles what do you think unfit he means un- to be cold. What do you think he means that he's untimely born? Um, he, I've been uh, wondering about that. He did not um, come to Christ until after the resurrection. Yeah, but it had nothing to do with the date of his birth. No, but he's talking about baptism. Oh. He's talking about when he was when he experienced salvation oh. is not during the life of Christ. Okay, thank you. But then, thank he, you for your insight, Father he, Peter. He got fully inaugurated into the family of God. That's what he means by born, though. Yes, exactly. Okay. So then, and then he says, "But I persecuted the church of God, but the grace of God purified me like a burning coal." And I am what I am by his grace, and his grace was not in vain. Like a burning coal, you say? Oh, like a burning coal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if we heard that before. I don't even know. 
He didn't say that. I I know. I just no. I know. That. I know. But that's that's how I, pretty, that's how I'm good. linking it together. It's pretty good. Yeah. Y- you know. Yeah. It's not too much of a, of a no. <laughs> it's not a jump. Oh, it's to me. Last of all, as to one born abnormally, he appeared to me. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with being called. The thing about St. Paul, I was talking to one of the Sisters of Life about St. Paul, and we were both expressing how we're, we we both love him and are frustrated by him simultaneously. Yeah, of course. But the thing about Paul, and especially what he's doing here, in the idea of what it means to be called, he's he's doing it because he realizes his own, he recognizes his own um, his own flaws, his own frailty, his own weakness, right? He He recognizes that... He is the least, he was the last, you know, all these things. But it doesn't diminish for him the uh, the highness of his call as an apostle. Right. And th- that's where the balance comes in, to recognize our own frailty, our own humility, our own smallness before God. But if we can get our heads around our smallness, right. then we can go and do the greatest work. And yes. then we can actually, not in a big-headed way, but realizing, okay, Christ is in me. I'm going to kick butt. I'm going to do I'm gonna amazing go for things. I, I'm going to And gonna, I can do amazing things. I'm going to live as if I have already died. Yeah. And I mean and that Because it's not me. Because it's not but me. Christ who lives within me. me. That's yeah. Paul. That's Paul's whole deal. Which is why he comes across as so, you know, big-headed and condescending sometimes, which I it's that's probably in my opinion that's probably something Paul already struggled with just on a human level. Right. He probably just struggled with pride. And well, he still does, and he wrestles with it, but he gets the better of it. He really does. And you can hear it in the Acts when it's like uh, he came and he he met with Kephas for ten days. He even mentions it here, and then and then <laughs> and he called him out, and and he called him out. But then when he left to go to go make tents, the whole church of the region had peace because because <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah. just he was just stirring the pot in this way that was like so intense. Yeah, which is necessary. Yeah, the, sometimes. He he was uh, he was perfectly fulfilling the role of God that God had for him absolutely. in the kingdom, yeah, absolutely. which which was to be Saint Paul. Like yeah. nobody could be Saint Paul but Saint Paul. Which is a great segue, I think, in actuality, into the Gospels. Hit me up. because I mean we're talking about getting kind of a superstar list today. We have the call of Isaiah. We have Paul talking about his own call, and now and we have the, the call, call of, of the Peter. whole church. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's like that's that's the thing is yeah. is, is is like the church of the, the five hundred and all the apostolic origin. Yeah, yeah. And how he and then he says, "Let me orient you of what I'm called in." And then now, boom, the call of Peter. Now, the call of Peter. I mm, I love this story. So while the crowd is pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, so they're all trying to hear. I mean, imagine you're giving a homily. And everybody in the church is so crowded, they're all like up on the altar with you. And like at the Pushing end, they're like, what are you going to say next? <laughs> what do you got in your notes? You don't have notes. <laughs> I never you use notes. notes. Anyway, they're all pressing in. They're listening. But how annoying would that be? It'd be like, super intense. What's up? Um, he was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, which is the Galilee. Sometimes it's called the Lake of Tiberias. Sometimes it's called the Lake of uh, Lake Galilee. Lake Gennesaret, they're all the same place. Well, you, here, here's my thought on why it was called Gennesaret in, in, for Luke in this particular one. Why? Because um, that is, by mentioning Gennesaret, you're actually linking it to the Decapolis. Yeah. And so, yeah. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so some, in some sense, he's actually trying to get uh, the link back to the, uh, uh, the apostolic origins of the call to the Gentiles. Because if you look into Acts... Paul is sent to the uh, to Israel, and then 
then Peter sent to to the Gentiles. Which is the, is the supreme irony of God's plan. Yes. Paul, who learned all of the Jewish law better than anybody else, is sent to everybody but the people who would get it. Right. And then Peter, the uneducated fisherman, is sent <laughs> to the Jewish leadership. Which right. Which is crazy. Cray. Oh yeah, so, I, I just flipped that around. So you got it right. I, I so sorry. why? Yeah, actually, that's why. Now I don't know why Luke says it to the Gennesaret. I think he says it because he is a Gentile. Luke is the one Gentile writer of a gospel. So I actually think oh. he's linking himself. I, I think your point is correct. I think the why is off, but I think the the thing that Luke is doing is. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think he does do this because he's linking himself in there. Yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of his story. Yeah. I don't know. That's my guess. But anyway, there he is. He saw two boats alongside the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and they were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats. And even that's funny. Just Jesus just jumps into your car. Like you're at the car wash, you're cleaning out your stuff, and Jesus just gets into your car. He's sitting in the passenger seat. He's like, what up? He just got into their boat. Isn't that weird? Just is weird. We we forget sometimes. I think how weird it is. Yeah, like and and uh, I I when when you're in in Israel, like there's a warm uh, there's a warm inlet into the actually sea that you're a warm inlet that would actually be a place where fishermen would wash their nets after the night because it'd be warm water rather than cold water. That's the place to be. And so that uh, so so I think that I might have actually been right to this direct location. Oh man, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Did you climb into somebody's boat? I mean, I tried, and then <laughs> and then they shot me. So it was <laughs> that, t- that took it a little far. <laughs> this escalated quickly. <laughs> okay, all, all of right. that was fabricated. <laughs> Not all of that. Not all of it. On the last part, just getting shot. Yep. Getting into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, he asked him to go out a short distance from the shore, and then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch." There's so many things going on here. First of all. Th- Something I got to say just about the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke is cool. Well, oh gosh, there's. Oh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Okay, hold on a sec. Uh, holding, cast, holding on. Let down your nets for a catch, right? Um, Simon said in reply, Master, we worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. But at your command, I will lower the nets. Do you think Peter knows who this is? I don't know yet. See, because I think, and I don't know this for sure, I feel like... Um, Luke, the call narratives of Luke yep. make the call narratives of Mark make sense. So mm. in the in in Mark's gospel, which is the shortest, everything's super quick, it's lightning fast. Jesus shows up, he's like, "Hey," and everyone's like, "Oh, okay." Then they just they just go, and you get no immediately, backstory. Immediately, and you immediately. It, Luke gives a little more. more Luke fills in the gaps, so right. to speak. And in Luke, you get the sense that Jesus has been walking, he's been preaching, he's been teaching. Peter, for example, has probably heard some of this stuff. Here he is on the shore. He's probably hearing what Jesus is teaching. And so that his heart has already been prepared by God. Mm. So that when Jesus shows up and gets on his boat, Peter's like, yeah, I, I've been, I, my heart's been warming up to this for a while. God's been preparing me for this yes. So that when Mark gives you his scene of Jesus shows up, calls him, Peter's like, yes, I am ready to go. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think Luke gives us just the bigger, a little bit more of the picture. Dude, I, I was just thinking we could actually figure out the size of Peter's boat <laughs> according to the size of the catch and how it was almost sinking um, by the sheer amount of fish. So you could actually calculate this. This is absurd. I, I, <laughs> I was just thinking about it. I saw your your eyes glass over as I was talking about the call narratives, and I didn't know why, but now I, now yeah, I see Yeah, I, I was actually calculating the size of Peter's boat. No, I think that that's super important. I never imagined that 
Peter was standing there listening to Jesus preach, and then we got in. He he probably had a little ping in his heart, like, dude, this is yeah. this guy's the man. Like that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's not it's just like it, so random. Like like what's this guy doing in my boat? Right, and it doesn't contradict what Mark is saying. It just gives some more of the details. Yeah, it just fills it in. Yeah. Um. By the way, Luke, it's so funny. I, I I'm thinking about Mark a lot for some reason, but Mark. You know, Mark was the gospel written from Peter's perspective. So Mark is really hard on Peter. Luke is quite the opposite. Luke actually gives some of Peter's greatest, most profound moments, probably because here's this Gentile physician who's now become a follower of Jesus, and he's got this this tr- profound respect for his pope. And what? he tells some of these stories. It's only Luke that tells you that the boat was Peter's. He's the only gospel writer that tells you that it was Peter's boat, which is interesting because of the whole church tradition that comes from this of the Ark of Peter, which saves us, right? The church being described as Peter's boat, Peter's Ark. So it's only Luke that actually says, hey, it's Peter's boat that Jesus gets on, by the way. You should know that to understand the metaphor the church is now going to use, which is very beautiful. Well, and it's honoring the spiritual patrimony of how the Gentiles received the gospel through Peter. Exactly. Thus Gennesaret and all of this expression. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it's just really cool. But but so here's Jesus. His heart's probably been pinged, as you said, or moved by this. He gets on the boat. There's probably this realization as they're out there. It, 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 you get the idea it's slow because Jesus is like, put your net in. He's like, I don't know about that. He's kind of hesitating, but he's like, but, but at your command, I'll, I'll do it. I don't know exactly who you are, but I'm going to follow what you want. And then Peter you know, is the quintessential external processor. He totally is. His his hearts are just his hearts just totally revealed for us. He's like cuz a lot of people would be so interior about this. It's like, "Oh man." Yeah. But he's he's like, "Lord, oh, no. it's we, all out there." Lord, we didn't catch anything, but you're kind of awesome, so okay. <laughs> like you could kind of just see it. It's true. It's, well, the and then movements of heart Im- immediately. And then they caught this huge number of fish. Fish. Their nets were literally tearing. They signaled to the other boats, "Come and help them." And they came and they filled the boats. The boats were in danger of sinking. At which most people would be like, "Yes, this is awesome. I'm rich. You know, I've got all this stuff." Peter's response is not, this is amazing, thank you for your advice, blah, blah, blah. It's to fall immediately at his knees and say, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I've seen the face of God touch it's, a coal. It's his, yes, it's his Isaiah moment of right. realization. Oh, I'm in the presence of the of the throne room of God, so to speak, and I need to fall on my knees. And we're back from the uh, doorbell ring. <laughs> they don't have to know that. Yeah, I, they heard it on the it's podcast. It's a seamless we edit. That. They have no idea. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! That was the that was the throne room of the Lord coming to I'm call calling. and asking for a check. Ding dong! It's <laughs> Isaiah, dude. <laughs> this is this is the best. This is. Yeah, it's just a beautiful moment, though, to show. I don't know. I'll now, tell I, you what. It doesn't I'll, make it more practical, but it's this. You read the old, I, 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 okay, Peter knew, I, well, he's fairly uneducated, but he knew the scriptures. He's a good Jew. He knew Isaiah, and I guarantee you he knew Isaiah 6. Yeah, because yeah, he went and to I, the synagogue, man. I wonder if there's this moment where he's like, oh, it's like that. This is happening to me. I mean, t- to imagine, you know, these these profound stories that you've grown up on that you know to be true and then realizing Oh man, I'm in that moment. It's happening to me of all people. Yeah, would be crazy. But it, it it also. But but isn't that isn't that our lives? Well, that's that's what I'm getting at. And I I mean, because the Isaiah, you have Isaiah, and there's this vision. There's angels flying around, and it is so abstract. You're like, 
I can never imagine being in that circumstance. And then you have Peter. I'm like, I'm just on my boat in do at work on a Monday or whatever it is. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And Jesus is here. And to be like, this is not abstract. The Lord is actually on my boat at work with me. And then to translate Peter's experience into all of our experience of like, this is not some big, huge, high and lofty, abstract experience. Jesus is getting on your boat. This is in the passenger seat of your car. This is a high and lofty experience that's concrete, not abstract. Yes. But yeah, thank you. As I said that, I was like, no, it is a high and lofty experience. But it is... It's an encounter with the living God in, in your everyday life. In your everyday life. Because that's where he's coming. He's coming onto your boat. It's the ordinary, uh, the extraordinary meeting the ordinary. Like that's like. Well, it's literally the extraordinary making a choice to come into the ordinary. And that's. I'm going to go onto this guy's boat. I like how I we have to resort to abstract language to describe such a concrete experience. Did we? Yeah, the ordinary and the extraordinary. Uh, and, yeah. But, but that, that's actually where. This is a testimony to us for us to remember what the you know the great quote the the church rarely li- the world rarely listens to teachers but if it listens to teachers it's because they are first witnesses. Yes, exactly right. And so what we're getting is we're getting witness to the reality and like we have an encounter. That's what conversion is is it's it's that moment where you're talking to somebody and you're like have like I have to do this all the time. I'm like has this person encountered the living God yeah. in the concrete circumstances of their life or have they not? And if yes, and and, and, and like because because if if you haven't, then what we end up boiling down to is this experience of saying we, we're just living a bunch of moral laws. Yeah, uh, we're just trying to curb behavior for some sort of cultural or power um, system. Yeah, when exactly. when in fact this is not just a uh, this is not about a that about yes. about moral control in a power system it's about the the fulfillment of the the real nature and end of man towards being invited into the family of god specifically into the inner life of the trinity absolutely and unless you've you've you know that's some people use the election vocation and mission that I like, like that. I like that a lot. That, that like you have to be elected. It's like you have to have a sense of yeah, no, I'm actually like I'm actually chosen and then then in that specific chosenness, then I actually have a vocation. Yeah. I actually have a call within being chosen and then from that chosenness, I'm actually sent out and 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 meant to help participate in the the calling and the 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 um the choosing and the calling of others. Yeah, totally. And that's and I, I think that's a Balthazarian concept. It sounds Balthazarian, but yeah. it's incredibly profound. But, but that's but that's what we're seeing here is the call, like the yeah. the the specific chosenness and well and the yeah and that's what we're that's what we're looking for and and I'll I'll tell you that that's going to help going into Lent is and to even have that that question as you're approaching Ash Wednesday is where is my sense of being chosen by God. Yeah. Yes. I I don't know. I keep. I, I'm a very melancholic, so I always think of the negative side of things. Black and bile. None of this is bad, but I mean, I don't. I don't go into Lent with the thought of, oh my gosh, I need to drop on my knees because who am I to experience this? Who am I to? I, I don't know. It's just mm. this, like, oh, it's Lent again. What am I going to give up? What am I going to do? Kind of, you know, just check the thing off my list and da 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 da. I'm walking through life. There's not this moment of profound. I have to drop to my knees because of what's happening. I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah, and there's the yeah, flip yeah. side of that. Of 
No, but we get up off of our knees then, and then we start moving. But we, you need the knees. They're, they're, do you know who Raniero Cantalamesa is? Yeah, Father, yeah. Father Cantalamesa. He was the, the father sing the mass. <laughs> he was the guy who gave all the retreats for the popes, which is, I mean, you want to talk about a hard job. So he gave, preaching to JP too, preaching yeah. to a saint. Yeah, and then Benedict. I'm like, oh, okay. But anyway, one of the things he said that I was always struck by is if if you've never wept over your own sinfulness, then you're missing something. Uh. You need to do that. You need to ask for the grace to see your own humility and your own sinfulness and for the grace to weep over it. Then you can move forward. Then we can get up off the knees and do the job that's given to us. But until we have that moment, it's really hard to do. Yeah. To I've, see our own brokenness. I've wept over your sinfulness. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. No, dude, I like to take, I love taking the most profound statements that, you, that are like so profound oh and just gosh. totally messing yeah, with them. Yeah, you do, you do. No, I, I actually think that, the, the but the only way, like this is how I do my examine, is that I ask, Lord, where have you been present in my day? That, that, I never want to just merely go into examining my conscience to say, like, look how awful I am. I actually well, want... It's I, not that. No, no, that's no, not what I mean. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I know you don't mean that. That's yeah. why I want to yeah, actually yeah, yeah. get concrete about it. Yeah. Is that, where, Lord, where did I see you in my day? And then how did I respond? Like, because yeah. uh, oftentimes I'm just going through my day and I'm not actually paying attention to where the Lord is, has or been has been present. And then what is my response to him? And that that's actually really where, like... I um I can get I can get distorted if I just um, uh, focus because the truth is is that I'm kind of neurotic. Mm. It's really way easier. in weird ways, in weird ways, and it's way easier for me to just get totally obsessed with how I don't measure up and how I'm sinful, rather than to get obsessed and and focused on how the Lord is present because that's what you see in all of these all, in all of these is they have an encounter. They, Isaiah enters into the throne room. Um, Saint Paul gets knocked off the horse and um, or gets knocked down. Knocked and, down. And I get Thank up again. Thank you, Caravaggio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then like, um, and then from there the. Um, and then Peter, you know, he has the catch of fish. They all have an encounter, and from the encounter, they respond. And that's really where um, I I just come back to what I was saying before: we're not worthy. Yeah, that's and true. like, and 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 that if I could actually have a sense of that from Lent, and to really re-engage what my encounter with the Lord is, and get concrete about that, and how the Lord has brought everything together. And I have had so many encounters. And and so have you. I mean, all of our listeners, you guys have had so many encounters to get concrete about that and then to say, how can I respond better, respond more? And that is, that's exciting. That's not, um, that's not weak sauce. That's like full-fledged. Strong bad. Time to check the emails. All right, you guys, we hope you have an amazing start to Lent. Uh, it's this Ash Wednesday. It's this Wednesday. So um, prepare, get on your knees, get back up, realize that God is in your boat, um, and we'll be back next week, hopefully. Yeah, do you know that one time I played a, a game of Monopoly that was like nine hours long? Oh, that sounds terrible. And, and then I lost, and then I had to call into a radio station and re- re- request Chumbawamba's I Get Up Again. Oh, that makes me sad. I get knocked down. That makes me sad in my heart. So God bless you. We'll see Wait, you in What did that have to do with it? anything? I get knocked down, but I get up oh, again. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just was talking about Chumbawamba, dude. Come on. <laughs> you just want to get that out there somehow. You know, the problem is, is you're sending emails while we're doing the- No, I am not. <laughs> I know you're not. Come on, man. Yes, I was. <laughs> it, this is a big, it's 
big it's week a big day. It's a big day. It's All a big right. week. You guys are Pray. the best. We'll be back next Pray for week. his dissertation. Pray for everything. Okay. Bye. bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.